Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read just a few verses from verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, as we've just been singing, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, with some degree of trepidation, we're going to look at this issue of gender, uh, male and female. I'm going to do it in two parts. Uh, Next Sunday evening, I want to look at the issue of male and female within the church because there are a, a number of specific issues that we need to address in a society which is very confused about the role of Uh, men and women. Uh, The church sometimes shares that confusion, and uh, sometimes we overreact in one way, and we need to think very carefully about how we treat one another, and what what does the Bible say about these things. But I'm not going to go there tonight. Tonight, we're going to look just at an even more fundamental question of what is gender, and trying to deal with this from a biblical perspective. Why is it important? 30 years ago, I I suspect it wouldn't have been that important. Everyone would just assume there's men and there's women. That's it. Um, In the providence of God, uh, 30 years ago, a transgender uh, woman came into our congregation, and I got to know her very well. And uh, it's strange, I think, that God was preparing for uh, what was to come But if you doubt that this is important, consider this, that, uh, for example, in, uh, I think it's the Herald today, Ian McWhorter, it's the lead article about uh, transgender, the UK and Scottish governments are both undergoing consultations which are seeking to change our view of gender and how we identify. This is all just in the past two days I came across these things without even looking for them. A website called feminist.org is pushing for a ban on the term pregnant woman because all genders can fall pregnant. Well, there you go. I may look as though it, but um, I I think it's pretty biologically impossible for me to fall pregnant. But all genders can fall pregnant. The U.S. government today has announced it's thinking of defining gender as fixed and immutable, and that is creating an, an enormous difficulty The last time I counted, there were three new transgender series on television, even though people who identify as transgender are 0.01% of the population. Anne Henderson, the rector of Edinburgh University, for merely suggesting that people might like to go to a meeting in the Houses of Parliament that was discussing this issue, was viciously attacked, and her own university refused to defend her, which was breathtaking. Um... A man called David Thompson was jailed for life for rape. A few weeks ago, he, well, more than a few weeks ago, he decided to re-identify as Karen White, and so he was sent to a women's prison where he has since severely assaulted four uh, women prisoners. Women are being silenced. Uh, The Scottish government 
told me that the huge number of the objections they had were from feminist groups, but many women feel they are being silenced. One lady put up a poster saying, woman equals adult human female. You think that's not too contentious? Uh, it was taken down, and she was told that she'd be charged with hate speech for saying a woman is an adult human female. Okay. Um, it's a big issue in our schools, a school here in this city, a school that we prayed for. A friend of mine was in doing a nativity just before Christmas last year, said Mary was a pregnant woman, and one of the children shouted out, you can't say that. How do you know she was a woman? And that's in this city, in a primary school. I once made, and I have to be careful not to, not to do this anymore, made a, a facetious remark about we wouldn't be able to say breastfeeding, and I was sent a letter from a consultant uh, in a hospital saying, David, I know you were joking, but actually I have a letter on my desk from the British Medical Association saying we are not to use the term breastfeeding. We need to call it chest feeding for the sake of the two transgender women who have to have machines uh, to enable them to chest feed. Uh, it, you, you, you look at all of this and you, you think, oh, this is just madness. This is just insane. This doesn't make any sense. This can't be right. But there is something that's going on here. And to me, it's something that's very, very deep within our culture. It's something that's very foundational. And it's something that the church has something to say about because of the teaching about what humanity is. Humanity is not just a collection of cells. Humanity is, um, if you think this is bad, wait till we come on to the next issue, which is going to be transhuman, trying to mix robots and human beings. It's a horrible, horrible situation that many people find themselves in. But what the Bible has to say really helps us in a very, very confused world. Let me also say this. I'm sorry for having such a long introduction, but let me also say this that um, you need to understand it is completely wrong to despise, to dislike, or to be afraid of anyone because of their views on an issue like this. So if, uh, and I have met several, in fact, a lot of transgender people because of uh, being requested to do so. And to me, it's very, very simple. The last person I met, I was told afterwards, we're really surprised that you treated them so well. And I said, what do you mean? Everyone's a human being. We're all made in the image of God. That's what we read there. And people may have very different ideas about identity or may be very confused about identity. But I would hope that every Christian in this place would treat everybody with respect and dignity. So let's just go to what the, the Bible has to say. There'll be a little bit more about some of where we're going because I do think it's important to understand and I think it's particularly important for our children to understand. Let's turn to Psalm 8. We, we sang it and the psalmist asks, what is humanity? If you've got a Bible, uh, one of the Pew Bibles, or Pew Bibles, Church Bibles, it's on page 546. The psalmist looks to the heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. And verse 4, what is man? What is humanity that you are mindful of? And man here includes woman, obviously. The son of man that you care for him. What is man? What is humanity? 
we just, it's one of those things you just assume. We know what human beings are, but do we? Martin Luther King published an, an essay in 1959, which is a very famous essay, just simply this, what is man? And he argued, because he was arguing against racism, but he argued from this psalm and from Genesis 1, the same thing that I'm going to argue tonight, that human beings are more than animals. We are animals, but we are more than animals, and we are less than God. We are not God. And that is the basic understanding of humanity which has prevailed in Europe and the West for most of the past 2,000 years. And what is happening in our culture just now, it's very important for you to grasp, is that that understanding of humanity is being destroyed by our secular humanists. And it is causing and will cause enormous hurt and concern. If you love people, you need to understand what, what is going on in the culture. Again, just to quote Martin Luther King, he said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. When we cease to believe in God, it's not just that we lose the sense of the divine, we also lose the sense of the human. And that's why the best thing we can do for our fellow human beings is seek to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, which restores human dignity. So, back in Genesis 1, we are told that God created humanity, male and female. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and then male and female, he created them. So every single person here is made in the image of God. What does that mean? Let me switch this on. I don't think this is going to go on. And again, you'll need to keep up with me, Tanai, because it's going to go uh, quite quickly. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. That's what the, the shorter catechism says. And this involves certain things. It's very clear from here what it involves. First of all, gender, male and female. Uh, I received, when somebody heard I was going to be speaking on this, I got a, a note this morning from someone saying, well, man's males are created in God's image, and women are created in the image of, of men. No, no. That's not what it teaches. If you're a woman, you are as much created in the image of God as a man. And there's no way around that in terms of the Bible. And when you get men who use what the Bible teaches to promote an idea of humanity which has males as superior and somehow more like God, they're heretics because that's not what the Bible teaches. So gender is really important here, and it's really important for feminism, actually. And, and I know that often you'll get Christians decry feminism, and certain types of feminism, you can understand that. But actually, a basic kind of feminism which says that women should be treated equally with men is right. It's biblical. And if you take away the, this gender aspect, if you destroy gender, then I think the, the, the feminists... They're called, um, the jargon, and you're going to get a lot of jargon tonight, the jargon is TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Well, I'm going to admit to being a TERF then. I've never been called a radical feminist before, but I'm going to own up to being a radical feminist because they're quite right. It, it, it's undermining what it is 
to be female. I think it's undermining what it is to be male as well. So gender's crucial. Identity is crucial because made in the image of God means that our identity is found in God. Our identity is not found in things like sexuality or ultimately even in gender, even though these things can be important. But our identity, and, and this, this is very important because it is how people say, well, this is what I feel about myself. This is what I feel I am. This is how I identify. The Scottish government and the UK government are both putting through legislation which will allow people to say, because I feel a particular way, because I feel I'm a particular gender, then I should be able to self-identify. It's all about identity. But those of us who are Christians, we find our identity in Christ and I would say in general, humanity should look to find its identity in our maker, God. Third thing we get from this is marriage. Uh, We are created for one another. Now, there are people here who are not married and who will never be married. Uh, That's not a prophecy thing. You don't say, oh, we're doomed. Um, um, Seriously, you do not want to be married to the wrong person. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but some people are not going to be married. It doesn't mean that they're lesser of a human being, but it is how the human race propagates itself. It is how the society is organized, and marriage from the very beginning was very, very important. Now, again, what we've done in our culture, and this is just a wee aside, is we've turned the wedding day far, being, or far more significant than the actual marriage in many cases, And the other thing that we've done, and this has happened in the church as well, because remember, the church often reflects the culture, that we've kind of idolized marriage, where we say to young women and to young men, well, your aim in life is to get married. No, that shouldn't be your aim. You don't want to be unhappily married, and your aim in life should be to please God. And for some people, that will involve marriage, but for others, it won't. But nonetheless, it's, 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 it's very important. The fourth thing is society. We serve God. We serve one another. When it talks about having dominion over the fish of the sea, it's not saying, right, go out and kill them all. It's saying you've got to manage the whole creation. We are stewards. Um, And again, Christians were way ahead of the green movement in this because we recognize that the earth is the Lord's and we we are here to sustain and to help it. Now, that's, what was, that's what's taught in Genesis 1. But what Genesis 3 tells us is that things go wrong. I'm not going to read it to, tonight, but the fall of humanity that's described in Genesis, there's a phenomenal impact. There is a poison that enters the system that affects the whole creation. The fallout is considerable, affecting the environment, society, and our relationships with one another. And above all, it disturbs, disrupts, and destroys our most basic relationships. It's why none of you here has a perfect marriage, nor ever will have. It's why the people who hurt you the most are the people who are closest to you. It's why the pain and the agony and the hurt and everything, because we're just messed up. We are messed up people in a messed up world. And that's also important in dealing with this issue, because sometimes I hear people say, well, that trans person is is very messed up. Well, yes, they are, but so are you. And so am I. We're just messed up sometimes in different ways. And here's the biggest problem. 
Before the fall, we lived to do the will of God. After the fall, we've fallen for the devil's temptation and we seek to be autonomous and to be as God. We do it our way. We go our own way. We are as God's determining our own right and wrong. It is the incredible arrogance of any human government to say we decide what's right and wrong. And it's the incredible arrogance of any single individual here if you say, I decide what's right and wrong. No, you don't. There's a right and a wrong that is independent of what you feel. And autonomy is the big problem in our culture because our whole culture has bought into this. I'll do it my way. You know the song. I hope you don't, but maybe you do. Um, It's still the most popular song to be sung at funerals. I almost want to walk out of a funeral and I'll never allow it to be sung here. And now the end is near and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. Now, that's crass and crude and stupid. But that's what's wrong in our society. Sin is rebellion against God, and it's an assertion of our own sovereignty and authority. No Christian with any biblical understanding would ever say, it's my body and I'll do with it as I wish. Now, that ties into other things. It ties into abortion. Okay? It's my body, and I will do with it as I wish. No. We were made for God and to glorify God. And that incredibly selfish, individualistic view is doing so much harm to people. So, what's going on? Well, the remaking of humanity. Let's just think about gender. What is gender? And here is where... Uh, our society is completely reinventing language because we're now being told that gender has nothing to do with biological sex. So it's gender is the, the jargon they use, they say it's a social construct. It's just something that's made up by society. Now, in a common sense kind of way, we look at things and um, a, a baby's just born. I'm uh, delighted that I'm a granddad again. I'm, I'm sure and Annabelle's a grandmom. Uh, I was going to say we had a baby. We had a grandchild. Uh, on, we didn't have a baby, just in case you're wondering. Um, but we had a, a grandchild, I think on Monday? Was it last Monday? Or, yeah, last Monday. And, you know, thank the Lord for Skype. Wonderful. It's brilliant. And, do you know, but when the baby's born, doesn't how do I use the language? I was going to say pop out, but that's not right because it implies it's easier than it is. But when, when Evie was born, the nurse and the doctor didn't pick her up and go say, okay, we are going to assign this to be a girl. They knew it was a girl. In fact, what's even amazing, they knew it was a girl before she was born. Didn't tell us, but they knew it was a girl before she was born because you can do tests and so on, because you don't assign whether you're male or female when you're born. And yet, this is the language, bizarrely, that doctors are being told to use. What is the gender you were assigned at birth? I wasn't assigned a gender at birth. I was male. I was born a boy. I mean, I wanted to be a girl. I don't know. But, but you can't, you don't assign gender at birth. But I'm afraid the insanity of our culture means that people are now saying, you've got to say this. We no more get to choose our identity in terms of gender than we do in terms of skin color or height. But as I said, now this is all changing. There is 
I recognize psychological disorder called gender identity disorder where somebody feels that they are the wrong gender. They're trapped in the wrong body. And I don't deny that that exists. But to say that gender is just something that's assigned, that it's not a basic part of being humanity, is to go absolutely contrary to the most fundamental parts of, of, of what we are as human beings. And you think, well, what does it really matter? You see, you've got two genders, male and female. Oh, no, 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 no. We have way moved on from that. That's so binary. Do you, you know what binary is? You're, you're, you're a binary person if you think there's just male and female. There's not. I was going to say that there were 56 genders according to Facebook, but there's not. There's 79 now. And I, I, could, I, was, I have a list of them all, but I'm not going to read them to you. Um, one activist told me that there are as many genders as there are people. That doesn't make any sense. Because here, here's a basic fact. Every single human being, there are some very, very limited exceptions. And I'll say something about those in a moment. Has XX chromosomes, you're a girl. Or XY chromosomes. From the moment of conception, Psalm 139 verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, what's happening when we say that there are multiple genders and that we can choose our own gender and that we can change gender, we're just ending up with absolute chaos because we're getting rid of gender all together. So there's one man got in trouble because he applied to be the women's political officer for the Labour Party in a London borough because he said, on Wednesdays, I'm a woman. And he got the job. That's just a bizarre, you know, you, you think, what? Um, I made a joke a, a few years ago, and this is why I have to be so careful. Uh, I did a podcast and I said about, you know, it's the end of women's sport and Andy Murray wasn't probably going to win Wimbledon again, so if he called himself Andrina, he would, because it's equal pay, he would get as much money for winning the women's one, which he would easily. And somebody actually wrote me and said, David, have you seen the Iranian women's football team? And I thought it was a joke, and I went and had a look, and eight of the Iranian women's football team are men. Because up until recently, Iran was the number one country for do doing gender reassignment surgery. Why? Because in Iran, they hate homosexuals, and so if men thought they were homosexuals, it would change them into women. So, it, it is, as I'm saying, it's a bizarre world in which we... I saw the photograph, and I thought it had just been made up, but no, it's, it's, it's for real. But what is also for real is in, uh, this week... A male cyclist or a cyclist who was uh, born male or assigned male at birth in the jargon, he won a women's cycle event. And lots of people are complaining. It's not fair because if you're male, you generally tend to be stronger in certain areas. And uh, it, it's going to destroy women's sport. It's going to destroy um, if political lists, if you say it's got to be 50% women and they say, well, we've already got enough women, you can just say, well, okay, I'm a woman. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, this, this is crazy. Now, what's again happened in our culture is that uh, we're moving towards this idea. If you, if you want to change your gender just now, you have to have a two-year history of living as the opposite gender. You have to have a medical report and various other things. What the government are proposing, both the Scottish government and the UK government, both of them are proposing this. 
that you should be able to go into a post office and fill out a form and legally change your gender. Now, that's breathtaking. Think of all the consequences of that. Think of a women's rape crisis center. Well, I'm a woman. You can say that. Think of, think of the sport aspect of it. Think of so many different issues where that comes into. Now, where's all the harm in this? Why are we talking about it at all? Well, one of the difficulties is that members of the transgender population are at higher risk of a variety of mental health problems compared to members of the non-transgender population, especially the rate of lifetime suicide attempts across all ages of transgender is estimated at around 45%, whereas for the rest of the population, it's about 5%. Now, those as well who've had sex reassignment surgery continue to have a much higher risk of experiencing poor mental health outcomes, uh, several times more likely to attempt suicide, and 19 times more likely to die by suicide. And people say, well, that's just because they've been treated badly. But I, because I've been involved in this issue for a while, I got a, um, a message from a doctor, and it's, I, I won't even say, and this is how bad it is, he can't say this in public, who did these operations. And he said, David, I've stopped doing them because they have an 80% negative outcome. And he said, any medical procedure that has a 10% negative outcome, we're very skeptical of. But this has an 80% negative outcome. And he says, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, well, do you, do you want to go public on this? And he said, no, not at all. I'd lose my job. It's just, we live it. People understand this. There are people in uh, lecturers in universities here in Dundee and in Edinburgh and elsewhere who are being asked to sign forms to say something which is scientifically false, never mind a, a religious ideology. It's extraordinary, says one man who's been campaigning for this. We've started a conversation about a genderless society. So God made us male and female, and now we're going to have a genderless society. Um, it, it, it is chaos, chaotic in so many different ways. We're moving from gender being about identity to being about um, self-identity. Now, one aspect of this is the use of non-binary pronouns. And we'll put up this chart just to let you see. And this is only part of it. In New York, if you misgender someone in terms of their pronouns, you can be fined a quarter of a million dollars. That's a bit more than you get sometimes for murdering someone. But so if they want to be known as Z or Zay or Zer, and again, you may think, this is... This has got nothing to do with Dundee and the world I live in. Okay, that's America. They're crazy. No. The former education convener of Dundee City Council once threatened me to report me because I refused to use specific pronouns because I uh, called him him and he said, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I said, what well, do you want me to call you her? I'll call you whatever you want. He said, no, I'm, I'm non-binary. I said, well, what do I say? Um, there's a kind of funny side to that because he stopped talking to me after I said, all right, fair enough, I'll call you anything you want, just tell me, um, but I want you to know that I self-identify as a Christian. So every time you refer to me, you must refer to me as beloved in Christ. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, two can play at that game. Um, but, you know, you, you think, you, where does all this go? How's it happening? Uh, ironically, uh, next weekend... 
Jordan Peterson, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, not a Christian, he's a clinical psychologist, found himself in enormous difficulty because he refused to accept this current fad for gender-neutral pronouns. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. In New York, there are now 31 protected gender identities. It, it's, you know the story of the Tower of Babel? How God came down and confused them? Well, this is almost like the opposite of that in us. The confusion is coming in in so many different ways. Now, why does it matter? Again, I think one of the reasons it matters is because of children. And this is where it's extremely important. This is a, uh, a report from the American College of Pediatricians. Conditioning children into believing a lifetime of chemical and surgical impersonation of the opposite sex is normal and healthful is child abuse. Endorsing gender discordance as normal via public education and legal policies will confuse children and parents, leading more children to present to gender clinics where they will be given puberty-blocking drugs. This, in turn, virtually ensures they will choose a lifetime of carcinogenic and otherwise toxic cross-sex hormones and likely consider unnecessary surgical mutilation of their healthy body parts as young adults. Now, leaving aside the question of whether any of that should be offered... The fact that if you start telling five, six, and seven-year-olds, you get to pick your own gender. And that is actually happening in this city at this time. It's just wrong. And you can see the harm that it's going to do. Now, again, in terms of Christianity, our, we, we say we believe in truth, but our society is a post-truth society. And none of this has anything to do with, with truth it's a political and sexual ideology being imposed upon us by, by those who, who consider themselves just to, to be in the right. And that is it. If you dare question this, you're called an idiot or a homophobe or a transphobe and probably all three. And if you wonder you know, how this is going to develop, the BBC are just developing three new children's programs that are actively promoting transgender. And I have a number of books which are being put around schools at the moment on the same thing, telling children. It's happening in the media and in the general culture. The Dundee Book Prize this year was won by an American author whose book was a coming-out story about a trans teenager. BBC Scotland had an hour-long documentary about six trans lovers, and all this for less than 0.01% of the population. It's being taught through our media, our soap operas, and social media. And above all, it's become the focus of our education system. There's a massive experiment in social engineering. And there's something worse coming because there's something called time for inclusive education, which sounds great. We want to include people. But it's being used to teach this philosophy. It means that brainwashing in this doctrine will be compulsory for all pupils with no opt-outs allowed and no discussion permitted. And the state tells teachers what they must teach. Police are being told to go into schools and talk about transphobic crimes. There's a primary school in this city that set up, unknown to the parents, a children's LGBT committee, a primary school, to ensure right attitudes. Those of you who know your history and have heard about Chairman Mao's Little Red Brigades, that's here. In that school, the signposts saying boys and girls were removed from the toilets and further indoctrination was done, and when some very brave parents I know challenged that, they were made to feel 
as though they were ugly and horrible and sinful people. And always being thrown at them as you're causing suicides. 200,000 pounds has been given by the Scottish government to promote this, which, and, and to promote a book which is to be given to pupils, which, amongst other things, encourages puberty blockers for preteens and urges teachers not to use the terms boy, girl, he or her. Serious. This is serious. This is not fantasy stuff. So, and it's not the future. It's happening now. It may not be happening in your school, but it won't be too long. And that's why, by the way, I want to commend to parents, and I'll have a whole bunch of these tomorrow. I can give one of these tonight. A book that I've just read called Gender, A Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. And it's a rather brilliant little book about how to talk positively and, and uh, carefully and biblically to young children, to middle-aged children, if you like, and to teenagers. But we need to, to do that because our kids are going to come across this in the media. They're going to come across it in libraries. They're going to come across it in schools. What's the Christian response then? In, well, let's just go to John chapter 1. Just, this may seem a strange one for you, but in John chapter 1, we've seen in Genesis 1, but in John 1, also speaking about the creation, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Now, that's talking about Jesus and Jesus being the Creator. But the word that's used for Jesus, word, is logos. And logos is the idea of, of knowledge. So we saw in the uh, catechism quote, we're made in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We are meant to be rational, and we are meant to think. And what's happening in our world is as we've rejected Christianity, we've rejected the source of rationality, and actually we're losing the fruits. Irrationality, confusion, and lies are the predominating factors. I don't wish to make any political points at all, but just to say this, that if you'd told me 10, 15 years ago who the leaders of our world would be at this moment in time, I would have thought that you were just making up a dystopian novel. It wouldn't have made any sense to me at all. And yet, that's where we're at. And in the Western world, we're in enormous danger because we're rejecting Christianity. And what we're doing as well, autonomy means what you feel is true. I don't want anyone in this church to say, I am a Christian because I feel that it's true. I had a really good feeling when I went to that meeting. Because you know what? In a year's time, you'll have a feeling that it's not true. And then what will you do? I want you to believe it because it's true. And I hope your feelings follow after that. But don't make the feelings the engine. Make the truth the engine. I'm not being facetious. But uh, if I said I was a five-foot Chinese woman, then in our society, I am a five-foot Chinese woman. And you may think nobody really believes that. I have somebody who, uh, a friend, who went around a university and asked people, how would you feel if I identified as a five-foot Chinese woman? And about half the people said, well, we would have to accept you as that. And these are the people who are being educated to, to, to lead our country. Rationality, truth, and logic disappear Christianity, Christ, is the logos and the truth. Family, church, and society will be replaced by individuality, corporations, and disintegration. Biggest problem in our culture today is not the gender, transgender thing. Of course it's not. 
The biggest problem in our culture today is the disintegration of the family. Number one cause of, hol- of, of homelessness. The, a huge issue in so many lives. Dysfunctionality within families. Children being abused. Women being abused. Men being abused as well. And we need to return to the basic roots that are described here. This autonomy and this based on just the way I feel. You know, people say, well, we're for love, and they put up the banners. But here's what will happen. Love, peace, and goodness will be replaced by hatred, strife, and immorality. That, again, is what is happening. So, how do we challenge all of this as a church? And this is where we've got to be really, really, really careful. Because there's a wrong way. We could react with fear. We could have a phobia. If somebody came up to you and said, Hi, um, I'm a trans person. Would you have the yuck factor? Ugh. I hope not. Because no matter how they dress or no matter what they say they are, they're a human being made in the image of God, same as you are. And you should treat all people. As Christians, we have no option but to do that. Now, fear, that kind of phobia, the only fear Christians should have is the fear of the Lord. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid in that sense. I do care what's happening to our culture and what's our society. And I don't think that we just can opt out of it. But we shouldn't react with fear. I like my alliteration. So another one is failure where so many people within the church just go along with the culture. So, for example, Steve Chalk just recently announced he was doing a transgender naming ceremony as a kind of baptism. That's an evangelical. Others follow suit in those lines. How ironic that the Scottish government recently reported that the opposition came from feminist groups, the Catholic Church, and the Free Church. Where are the other churches? This is about our children. It's about one of the most basic fundamental teachings of humanity for everyone. And there's a failure in people not facing up to this. And, and also, I know, I mean, I, I know that people feel this because I feel it sometimes. Honestly, the last thing I wanted to teach about was this because, you know, I contrast it with this morning and the love of Jesus. But the love of Jesus compels me to teach about this as well. And I know that there are Christians who say, we just... Look, let's just keep our heads down and let it just go by us. It's not going to go by us. And if you care for people, what are you going to do when your children are playing with children who've got a very different view of what humanity is? You have to teach your children. And you have to do so in a way that's biblical and and loving and compelling. So there's failure. There's a kind of other attitude, which is let's fight back. Let's turn back the tide. No. No. We, we, we can't fight with the weapons of this world. Christians will often go against the flow. It's only God who can turn the tide, but we have to stand on the rock. We, yes, sometimes we need to shout against the darkness and we need to show the lights and politicians need to be involved and parents need to stand up when you're in, in schools and so on. You need to say, you're not teaching my child this. You're not. It's not the time for us to hide behind the excuse of niceness or the sovereignty of God. But equally, we need to be really careful that we don't become obsessed with one issue uh, and aggressive and, and, and angry and thinking that we can change. Look, 
The world's a messed up, screwed up place. All that's happening in our culture just now is that we are beginning to reap the fruit of a culture which has rejected God. Don't blame trans people for that. It's the culture. Family. Two positive things. We must not just promote but live the Christian teaching about the family. I love, I picked this up about Tolkien. He wrote a letter to his son, which is a lovely letter, and Tolkien was quite confused in some ways. But he said, each of us, he's saying to his son, could healthfully beget in our 30-odd years of full manhood a few hundred children and enjoy the process. And he was looking ahead to a time when there are people who think that. I have as many children as I want. I don't care. I don't have to look after them. State will do that. And Tolkien admonished his son. And he said this, that only the joys and satisfaction of monogamous marriage provide the only true context for sexuality without shame. He also interestingly thought that Christianity's understanding of sex and marriage pointed to eternal as well as temporal pleasures. And I think he was right in that. But here's the thing. It's why it's so important that, remember Sinclair said this a few years ago and we've repeated it often, it takes a church to bring up a family. It's why it's so important that we care for the, the children in this church and we care for the families and we support the families. The idea of mum, dad, and 2.4 kids bringing up their children in splendid isolation is fundamentally unbiblical. Families are much more than that. I loved, um, there's a, a wee thing I saw this week, President Macron said only stupid women had lots of children. Now, I'm not making an argument for you know, having lots of children. Great, if you want to have lots of children, have lots of children. If you don't, don't. But Macron said only stupid women do that. And of course, immediately, because it's social media, there's a whole hashtag thing of I'm a stupid woman with uh, mainly Catholic women with lots of children, like 10, 11 children, who've got PhDs and everything else. So uh, he's really having to eat his words. Um, But we need a positive understanding of what the family is and encouraging family and supporting family. And that means, by the way, encouraging single mothers and helping different people who've... Families are dysfunctional and and mess up, and all of us are are part of that. But we, we can help, and we need to encourage properly biblical families and, and, and encourage non-Christians as well who, who want to provide a family. Do you know, I, I can't remember the exact figures, but you're about five times less likely to go to jail, less likely to end up with mental illness if you're brought up in a home with your biological mother and father. Now, that's not to say anything against people who, because of circumstances, that's not the way it's going to be. But this is the way that, that God has designed us to be. And the attack on the family that's come in our culture is, has been absolutely horrendous. And then finally this, faith. We bring the gospel of love because we have faith in God and we have faith that God can redeem and that God can change every situation. So let me just apply this in a couple of ways before we finish. If someone was transgender or if you felt that you were transgender here, I, I want to encourage you not to allow feeling to determine your body. But the other way, don't trust your feelings. This is true for all of us. 
Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? One of the most moving things I've ever seen is a video of, I've seen of uh, a number of people who thought they were in the wrong body. They went and had operations and various other things, and now later on in life, they're deeply regretting it and trying to go back. And it's, it's heartbreaking. By the way, the Scottish government proposal is once you reassign, that's it forever. I don't know how they've come to that conclusion, but that's what they're saying. Uh, I can't believe that that will end up going through. But if you are struggling with feelings of identity, then you, you probably do need help. And you probably do need to talk with people, and you probably do need to think through this whole issue. One of the most astonishing statistics is this, that 80% of teenagers and children who identify as transgender in their teens, by the time they reach their 20s or their late 20s, they revert to their, their birth gender. That's why this is an insanity of doing it in schools. And by the way, let me just say one other thing about the schools thing. I watched, I must have been one of the few people, a handful of people in Britain, who actually watched the first ever parliamentary debate in the UK Parliament on this subject. Only about 40 MPs there, two very, very brave Labour women MPs challenged the consensus, which was actually bizarrely um, conservative MPs who were promoting this. And one of those conservative MPs, a government minister, stood up and said this, forget the adults, we have to get the children. And that's exactly what is happening. But what I would simply say to anyone who's struggling with the transgender issue, you, you're a human being. You don't find your identity in your gender. I'm not going to pretend to understand what you're going through, but I'm not going to despise you, and I'm not going to regard you as, as, as dirt or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm going to plead with you to seek help, and to, above all, to seek help from God and from Christ. For Christians, two things. Um, First, I do, I do want to recommend some further reading because I'm not going to preach on this again. It's there in God's Word, I think, what gender is very clearly. But we have to work out how we deal with this in our culture, and this will be done in different ways. But I recommend some reading. There is this book on, uh, for parents and actually for youth workers as well, a conversation guide for parents and pastors, it says, there's a, a wee book by Vaughan Roberts, um, Anglican and Evangelical Anglican from Oxford, just simply called Transgender. It's a very short book and one of the clearest that you can get. Um, for a bit heavier stuff, uh, from a Catholic writer, Ryan T. Anderson, it's not an overtly Christian book, but it's called When Harry Became Sally, and that is just a phenomenal book. Um, it really, really helps you understand what's going on. I don't think it's difficult to read, but it's distressing. And then there's the Sydney Diocese Report on Gender, uh, written by a friend of mine, Rob Smith, or at least his wife, both of whom have PhDs um, actually in this subject. And uh, it's a fantastic report, and I wish that our churches had produced stuff like this. It's been a very influential report, actually, in Australia. Um, I can get you access to any of these. But for the Christian, when faced with the darkness, what do we do? Do we create more darkness? Do we yell? Do we hate? Do we scream? No, we don't. We love him because he first loved us. And I want to give you two quotes 
that come from Augustine, which enormously helped me when I was going through a period of facing fierce opposition. Uh, on this subject, by the way, many of you will know that for some bizarre reason, and I don't know why, transgender activists are the most vicious. There are many, many people. I have members of parliament write to me and say, David, we agree with you. We can't say anything because we couldn't cope with the hate. Um, and that, this is going on. I mean, this, I'm not making this stuff up. People think you make it up. It's not making it up. It's happening. And thankfully, it is getting out more and more in the public. But the Christian reaction is not to return hate with hate. The Christian reaction is to love as Christ loved us. This is what Augustine says. Let us love because he first loved us. For how shall we love except he had first loved us? By loving, we became friends. But he loved us as enemies that we might be made friends. He first loved us and gave us the gift of loving him. We did not yet love him. By loving, we are beautiful. But our soul, my brothers, is unlovely because of iniquity. By loving God, it becomes lovely. What a love it must be that makes the lover beautiful. But God is always lovely, never unlovely, never changeable. He who is always lovely first loved us. And what were we when he loved us but foul and unlovely? But he did not leave us foul. No, but he changed us. And out of the unlovely makes us lovely. How shall we become lovely? By loving him who was always lovely. As the love increases in you, so the loveliness increases. For love is itself the beauty of the soul. How do we find Jesus beautiful? That's what we do. Our answer to this is to proclaim Christ and to know the loveliness of Christ. I'm not asking you to go out and do all the stuff that I've had to do or um, people who are experts in this. Thank God for people who are experts in this. This is not our battle. Our battle is to proclaim Christ to a confused world. This is the result of what happens in a confused world. And the only ultimate solution to that is to proclaim Christ. One other thing from Augustine. And again, I thought this was just beautiful. Behold, he says, hatred shows itself winningly gentle and charity quarrels. Because love doesn't mean just being nice to people. Stay not thy they regard upon the words of seeming kindness or the seeming cruelty of the rebuke. Look into the vein they come from. Seek the root whence they proceed. One is gentle and bland that he may deceive. The other quarrels that he may correct. There are people who are gentle, but they're deceivers. They're lying. They talk about love. They talk about kindness, and they advocate something that does a great deal of harm. The other quarrels that he may correct... Well, then it's not for us, brethren, to enlarge your heart. Obtain from God the gift to love one another. Love all men, even your enemies. And I love this. Not because they are your brothers, but that they may be your brothers. That you may be at all times on fire with brotherly love, whether towards him that has become thy brother or towards thine enemy, so that by being beloved, he may become your brother. You will never win people over. You will never win people over by being vinegar to them. You have to be honey. And that doesn't mean being weak, and it doesn't mean being spineless, and it doesn't mean not speaking out, but it does mean not hating. And it does mean loving those who may profoundly hate you or profoundly disagree with you. And neither you nor I can do that without the love of Christ being shed abroad in our hearts. So our primary identity 
is found in Christ. And because of that, we can get the big picture of what's going on, but we can also do something about it. Um, I'm just thinking of one very, very confused and messed up transgender person who met with a Christian who they thought hated them. And that Christian sat with them and didn't say to them, oh, I agree with everything that you're doing and everything's okay. They met with them and they sat with them and they said, no, I think this is wrong and I think this is wrong and I think this is wrong. But I tell you this, I love you because you're made in the image of God. And it had a transformative effect on that person. Because that person had been taught gender identity was everything. And if people don't accept your identity, they hate you. And here was someone who was questioning and yet still loved them. Loved them enough to question. Loved them enough to challenge. I'm, I'm sorry that there are far too many Christians who, who kind of stand for truth. There are a lot of Christians who don't stand for truth, which is appalling. But just as appalling as Christians who stand for truth but don't do it with love and almost seek to destroy the person or the people that they are arguing against. I'm guilty of that many times. I know that. But we need to be more like Christ. We need to be strong. We need to be bold. We need to challenge. And we need to love with the love that Christ had. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Forgive us for our sin. And Lord, we live in a very confused and disturbed world. And we bless you that you have brought us here for such a time as this, that we can bring your gospel, your good news to all who are broken, all who are confused, all who are seeking identity and acceptance and love. We pray, our God, that you would help us not to compromise that you would help us to be wise. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Grant us the wisdom to know that. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would have mercy upon our confused nation. The worst thing that could ever happen is for you just to ignore us. So we ask that you would act, whether in temporary judgment or whether in renewal and revival. Lord, work amongst us. And we bless you that for all our sin and all our confusion, Jesus came and died for us, that Jesus paid it all. Help us to be free, each one of us here, and to share that free grace in your name. Amen.